Chapter 8 of Man and His Ancestor A Study in Evolution. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. Man and His Ancestor A Study in Evolution by Charles McLean Morris. Chapter 8 How the Chasm Was Bridged. In his bodily formation, the man-ape differed little from man. The differences which existed were probably of a minor character, no greater than could readily exist within the limits of a species. If this assertion be questioned, it seems sufficient to call attention to the recent researches into the anatomy of the anthropoid apes, which differ in species, if not in genera, from man yet are closely similar to him in all their main features of organization. Even in the brain, to whose great development man owes his superiority, the only marked difference is in size. Structurally, the distinctions are unimportant. If, then, these distant relatives so closely resemble man in physical frame, his immediate relative in the line of descent must have approached him still more closely in organization. After this ancestor had become a true surface-dwelling biped, the differences in structure were probably so slight that physically the two forms were in effect identical. The man-ape was, as there is reason to believe, considerably smaller than man, perhaps about equal in size and stature to the chimpanzee, but that does not constitute a specific difference. There may have been some differences in the skeletal and muscular structure. The vocal organs, for instance, probably differed, the evolution of language in man being accompanied with certain changes in the larynx. The skull was certainly much more ape-like. Yet variations of this kind, due to differences in mode of life, are minor in importance, and may easily come within the limits of a species. While the great features of organization remain intact, small changes due to new exigencies of life may take place without affecting the zoological position of an animal. The most striking difference between man-ape and man, that of the development of the brain to two or three times its size and weight, is similarly unessential in classification, while the brain remains unchanged in structure. That it has remained unchanged we may safely deduce from the close similarity between the brain of man and those of the existing anthropoid apes. The cause of the increase in size is so evident that it need only be referred to. Since the era of the man-ape, almost the whole sum of the forces of development have been centered in the mental powers of this animal, with the result that the brain has grown in size and functional capacity, while the remainder of the body has remained practically unchanged. That man as an animal has descended from the lower life realm, none who are familiar with the facts of science now think of denying. This has attained to the scientist, and to many non-scientists, the level of a self-evident proposition. 
but that man as a thinking being has descended from the lower animals is a different matter concerning which opinion is by no means in unison even among scientists some degree of difference of opinion exists and such a radical evolutionist as alfred russell wallace finds here a yawning gap in the line of descent and is inclined to look upon the intellect of man as a direct gift from the realm of spirits his explanation it is true is more difficult than the problem itself there are no facts to sustain it and even if he were not able to see how man's mind could be developed by natural selection it is a sort of reductio ad absurdum to call in the angels to bridge the chasm romanus has dealt with the subject from a different and more scientific point of view and seems to have succeeded in showing that man's intellect at its lowest level is not different in kind from the brute intellect at its highest level controversy on this subject is too apt to be based on the difference between the intellect of the brute and that of enlightened man in disregard of the great mental gap which exists between the latter and the thought powers of the lowest savage in the preceding section an effort was made to show how crude and imperfect must have been the language of primitive man its imperfection was a fair gauge of that of his powers of thought his intellect stood at a very low level seemingly no further above that of the highest apes than it was below that of enlightened man in fact enormous as is the interval between the mind of the brute and that of the man of modern civilization the whole long line of mental development can be traced with the exception of a comparatively small interval this is the gap between the intellect of the anthropoid ape and that of primitive man the one important last chapter in the story of mental evolution supernaturalism driven from its strongholds of the past has taken its last stand upon this broken link claiming that here the line of descent fails and that the gap could not have been filled without a direct inflow of intellect from the world of spirits or an immediate act of creation from the deity this view of the case is not likely to be accepted as final science has bridged so many gaps in the kingdom of nature that it is not likely to retire baffled from this one but will continue its investigations in place of accepting conclusions that have not the standing even of hypothesis since they are unsupported by a single known fact at first sight indeed the facts which bear upon this question seem stubborn things to explain by the evolution theory the gap in intellect between the highest apes and the lowest man is a considerable one which no existing ape seems likely ever to cross however the anthropoid apes gained their degree of mental ability it does not appear to be on the increase they are in a state of mental stagnation and may have remained so for millions of years something similar indeed can be said of the lowest savages they also are mentally stagnant the indications are that for thousands or tens of thousands of years in the past their intellectual progress has been almost nothing 
yet it is beyond reasonable question that the advanced thinker of to-day has evolved from an ancestor as low in the mental scale as this savage probably much lower and this renders it very conceivable that a similar process of evolution covered the interval between the ape intellect and that of primitive man somewhere at some time in the far past the mental stagnation of man was broken and the development of the mind began its long progression towards enlightenment this was not in the localities in which the lower savages are now found the equatorial forests of africa and south america and other realms of savage life the change in all probability taking place elsewhere under new and severe exigencies of life similarly we have much justification in saying that somewhere at some time the mental stagnation of the ape was broken and the long development of the mind from ape to man began this did not take place in the instances of the existing anthropoids and as in the analogous case of civilized man its influencing cause must be looked for in exigencies of existence acting upon some form different in character and habitat from these apes the existing anthropoid apes may justly be compared in condition with the existing low savages in both cases a satisfactory adaptation to their situation has been gained these apes are still arboreal and frugivorous as their remote ancestors were they have for ages been in a state of close adaptation to their life conditions and the influences of development have been largely wanting such evolution as took place must have been extremely slow in like manner the lowest savages live in intimate relations with the conditions surrounding them all problems of food-getting habitation climate etc have long since been solved and in the tropical forests in which so many of them dwell they are in thorough accord with the situation mentally therefore they are practically at a standstill and have remained so for thousands of years the two cases are parallel ones we can safely say that the later development of man took place in other situations and under other conditions. We may fairly say the same in regard to the ape. Vigorous influences must have been brought to bear upon the ancestor of man as the instigating causes of its mental development into man and similarly vigorous influences must have been brought to bear upon primitive man to set in train his mental development into intellectual man and the general character of these influences in both cases may readily be pointed out an extraordinary development has taken place in the human intellect within a few thousands or tens of thousands of years yielding the difference which exists between the cultivated man of to-day and the debased savage who probably preceded him and whose counterpart still exists this has undoubtedly been due to influences of the highest potency 
if we can show that influences of equal potency acted upon man's ancestor we shall have done much toward indicating how the ape brain may have grown into the brain of man in both cases the main agency was in all probability that of conflict both ape and man as we take it developed through some form of warfare in the former case it was warfare with the animal kingdom in the latter it was warfare with the conditions of nature and with hostile man each of these has been potent in its effects and to each we owe the completion of a great stage in the evolution of man in the tropics the home of the anthropoid apes of to-day and probably of the animal we have named the man-ape war between man and nature scarcely exists nature is not hostile to man there is no occasion for clothing and little for habitation food is abundant for the sparse populations little exertion is called for to sustain life mental stagnation is very likely to supervene yet there as elsewhere conflict has had much to do with such mental progress as exists mastery in warfare is due to superior mental resources which gradually arise from the exigencies of conflict and manifest themselves in greater shrewdness or cunning superior ability in leadership better organization fuller mutual aid and the invention of more destructive weapons and more efficient tools war acts vigorously on men's minds peace acts sluggishly in the former case man's most valued possession his life is in jeopardy and his utmost powers are exerted for its preservation every resource within his power is brought to bear to save himself from wounds or death and to destroy his enemies if the foes are equal physically victory is apt to come to those which are superior mentally which are quicker at devising new expedients more alert in providing against danger more skilful in the use of weapons abler in combining their forces to act in unison in short the whole story of mankind tells us that mental evolution has been greatly aided by the influences of warfare the reaction upon the mind of the effort at self-preservation the destruction of those at a lower level of intellectual alertness the preservation of the abler and more energetic the effect of conflict in bringing into activity all the resources of the intellect and the hereditary transmission of the powers of mind thus developed it is undoubtedly to war between man and man and the conflict with the adverse conditions of nature in the colder regions of the earth that man's development from his lowest to his highest intellectual state has been largely due this is by no means to say that war is still necessary for this result other influences are now at work of equal or superior potency and while the conflict with nature and the conditions of society is still of importance war between man and man is no longer necessary as a mental stimulant the time was and that not very far in the past when it was an essential element in human development 
If we descend to the lowest existing savages, however, it is to find this agency almost non-existent. We can perceive in them no organized warfare and no alert conflict with nature. They are as yet at the very beginning of this stage of evolution, and it certainly exerts little influence upon them. Nature is not adverse. Life needs little thought or exertion. They accept the world as they find it, without question or revolt, and their thoughts and habits are as unchangeable as the laws of the Medes and Persians. But the fact that active warfare does not now exist among the lowest tribes of mankind does not argue that such a state has never existed. In truth, we maintain that primitive man is the outcome of an active and long-continued warfare, and that his settled and sluggish condition to-day is the ease that follows victory. He has conquered and is at rest after his labors. For if we compare primitive man with the anthropoid apes, it is to find one striking and important difference between them. The anthropoids are at a level in position with their animal neighbors. Man is lord and master of the animal kingdom, the dominant being in the world of life. He has no rival in this lordship, but stands alone in his relation to the animal kingdom. He is feared and avoided by the largest and strongest beasts of the field and forest. He does not fight defensively, but offensively, and whatever his relation to his fellow man, he admits no equal in the world of life below him. He is the only animal that has made a struggle for lordship. The gorilla is said to attack the lion and drive it from its haunts. If it does so, it is not with any desire for mastery, but simply to rid itself of a dangerous neighbor. The battle for dominion has been confined to man, and in the winning of it no small degree of mental development must have taken place. The supremacy of man was not gained without a struggle, and that a severe and protracted one. The animal kingdom did not yield readily to man's lordship and the war must have been long and bitter settled as the relations now seem rest has succeeded victory the lower animals are now submissive to man or retire before him in dread of his strength and resources and the strain upon his powers has ceased so far as this phase of evolution is concerned the influences aiding the mental development of man have lost their strength the warfare is over, and man reigns supreme over the kingdom of life. Of all animals, the man-ape was the best adapted for such a struggle. The other anthropoid apes, while favored by the formation of their hands, lacked that freedom of the arms to which man mainly owes his success. No other animal has ever appeared with arms freed from duty and locomotion, and at the same time endued with the power of grasping, and these are the features of organization to which the evolution of the human intellect was wholly due in its first stages. The man-ape was not able to contend successfully with the larger animals by aid of its natural weapons, 
its diminutive size its lack of tearing claws and its lesser powers of speed left it at a disadvantage and had it attempted to conquer by the aid of its strength and the seizing and rending powers of teeth and nails its victory over the larger animals would never have been won even with the aid of the cunning and alertness of the apes their power of observation their combination for defence and attack and their general mental superiority to the tenants of the animal world their supremacy in the event of their becoming carnivorous must have been confined to the smaller creatures and could not have been established over the larger animals of their native habitat except through the aid of other than their natural powers it was by the use of artificial weapons that the conquest was gained the tendency to use missiles as weapons of offence and defence which is shown by various species of monkeys was in all probability greatly developed by the man-ape the only carnivorous member if our premises are correct of the whole extensive family of the apes and the only one with the free use of its hands and arms by the use of weapons of this kind the powers of offence of this animal were enormously increased as skill was acquired in their use and more efficient weapons were selected or formed the man-ape steadily advanced in controlling influence and the lower animal world became more and more subordinated no doubt the struggle was a protracted one the previously dominant animals did not submit without a severe and long-continued contest thousands of years may have passed before the larger animals were subdued for it is probable that the invention of superior weapons by an animal of low mental powers was a very slow process each stage of invention gave higher success but these stages were very deliberate ones however this be we can be assured that the superiority of the ancestral man lay in his mental resources and that his victory was due to the employment of his mind rather than of his body as a result the developing influence of the conflict was exerted upon his brain the organ of the mind far more than upon his physical frame and this organ gradually increased in size while the body as a whole remained practically unchanged the conflict began with the man-ape on a level in power and dominance with animals of its own size and inferior to those of greater size and strength it ended with man dominant over all the lower animals such a progress if made by any animal through variation in physical structure must have caused radical and extraordinary changes in size strength and utility of the natural organs of offence if made as in the instance in question through development of the organ of the mind alone it could not but have produced a great increase in the mind and power of this organ and the dimensions of the brain in primitive man as compared with those of the brain in the anthropoid apes do not seem too great for the magnitude of the result the conflict ended a new animal man finally and fully emerged from the family of the apes and settled down in the restful consciousness of victory with a much larger brain and greatly superior mental powers than were possessed at the beginning of the struggle 
yet in physical aspect not greatly changed from his ancestral form after it had first fully gained the erect attitude the powers gained enabled early man easily to hold the position he had won and there was no further special strain upon his faculties until a new contest began that between man and nature supplemented by a still more vital struggle that between man and man to return to the point from which we set out it may be said that as the man-ape gained facility in walking in the erect attitude and its hands and arms became fully adapted to the use of weapons its standing in the animal kingdom changed essentially from that before held fear and flight ended retreat ceased attack began pursuit succeeding flight and the great battle for mastery entered upon its long course an element which aided materially in the victory was the social habit of the animal in question and the mutual aid which the members of any group gave one another educative influences also naturally follow association every invention or improvement devised by one becomes the property of the whole and nothing of importance once gained is lost the stages of this progress were undoubtedly in their outer aspect stages of improvement in weapons we seem to see ancestral man in his early career as a carnivorous animal seizing the stones and sticks that came readily to hand and flinging them with some little skill at his prey in the same manner as we can perceive the baboon doing the same thing in like manner we observe him breaking off branches from the trees and using them as clubs one of the first steps of development from this crude stage in the use of weapons would be the selection of stones suited by size and shape for throwing and the choice of clubs of suitable length and thickness the latter being stripped of their twigs for a long time fresh weapons those immediately at hand would be seized and used for every new conflict but as the idea of the superiority of some weapons to others arose a second stage of evolution must have begun the selected club broken from the tree and prepared for use with some care and thus embodying a degree of choice and labor would be too valuable to fling idly away and might be retained for future use the first personal possession of inchoate man similarly stones carefully chosen for their suitability for throwing would be probably kept and a small store of them collected in short we may conceive of the man-ape thus gathering a magazine of weapons clubs and stones sought or shaped during hours of leisure for use in hours of conflict in this way our animal ancestor doubtless slowly became a skilful hunter carrying his weapons with him in the chase and using them efficiently in the conquest of prey a third stage in this progress was reached when to some wise-headed old man-ape came the idea of combining the two forms of weapon in use of fastening in some way the stone to the club in order that a more effective blow might be struck the vegetable kingdom furnishes natural cords flat stones with more or less cutting edges could be chosen and bound to the end of the club 
and the earliest form of the battle-axe would be produced. With its formation, the man-ape made another important step of progress, and added greatly to his powers of offense. Stage by stage he was bringing his animal competitors under his control. The formation of an axe or hatchet, however crude it may have been, would naturally lead to another step in advance. With it, the ancestral man had passed beyond the possession of a weapon into the possession of a tool. The shaping of his clubs previously had been done by a rude tearing or hammering off of their twigs. These could now be cut off, and in addition the club might be wrought into a better shape manufacture had begun. Our ancestor stood at one end of a long line, at the other end of which we behold the steam engine, the electric motor, and an interminable variety of other instruments. Primitive manufacture was not confined to the shaping of wood. The shaping of stone followed in due time. If a tree branch could be made more suitable for its purpose by cutting it into shape with a rude stone axe or hatchet, a stone of better shape might be obtained by hammering. Doubtless the chipping effect of striking stone upon stone had been often observed before the idea arose that this could be made useful and that where stones of the desired shape were not to be found the shape of those at hand might in this way be improved if we seek for some turning-point some stage of progress in which the man-ape fairly emerged into man perhaps it would be well to select that which we have now reached that in which the animal in question which had hitherto used the objects of nature in their natural form first gained the idea of manufacture and began to shape these objects by the use of tools in truth the dividing line between man-ape and man was imperceptibly fine various points of demarcation might be chosen each founded on some important step in evolution but among them all that in which the effort to convert the objects of nature into better weapons by the use of tools is perhaps the best as it was probably the first step in that long process of manufacture to which man owes his wonderful advance with this early effort at manufacture man had reached a stage in which he was first able to make a permanent record of his existence upon the earth aside from that of the very infrequent preservation of his bones as fossil remains a chipped stone is a permanent object even a very rudely shaped one bears some indication of its origin upon its surface some marks pointing back to man in his early days unfortunately for anthropologists natural agencies sometimes produce effects resembling those achieved by man's hands and some degree of skill in manufacture and well-marked design is necessary before one can be sure that a seeming stone weapon has not been shaped by nature instead of man within a recent period research for the evidence of early man in the shape of chipped stones has been diligently made with an abundance of undoubted and a number of doubtful results 
some of these reach very far back in time and if actually the work of man he must have lived upon the earth as a manufacturing animal for years that may be numbered by the million seemingly chipped stones have been found that belong to the remote miocene geological age with the latter are some scratches upon bones that also seem the work of tools but these miocene relics are questionable they do not seem to surpass the shaping power of nature herself unless some more indubitable relics are found we must place the advent of man as a tool-using animal at a much later date how far back he may have existed as a man-like biped is another question which we are not likely soon to solve it is scarcely necessary to pursue this branch of our subject farther we have reached one end of a line of development the succeeding course of which is well known from the earliest rudely chipped stones and flints that are certainly the work of man we can easily trace his progress upward through better examples of the chipped and later through those of the polished stone implement until the age of metal began and with these stones have been found many other indications of the progressing powers of man in the shaping of bone, the invention and use of a considerable variety of implements and ornaments, and the earliest efforts of art, as stated in a preceding section. There is no occasion to go into the detail of these steps of progress. When they are reached, this section of our work ends we are concerned here simply with man's ancestor and man in his earliest stage of existence not with man in his later course of development End of chapter eight